God, here we are on the cusp of another holy week. We offer ourselves to you and we pray that as we begin and continue our journey through this week, that we will be overwhelmed again by your great grace and by your great love for us. God, we know that you have called us to this time. You have called us to this place and that you have a word for each one of us today. God, I pray that you will give each one of us ears to hear what you're saying to us today. We are here before you, God, because we want to make an even more complete offering of our lives to you. So we pray that through your grace, you will take us and make us completely yours. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Like the children are apt to say on strong, long trips, are we there yet? Well, we have finally arrived in the gospel account to the beginning of what we Christians call Holy Week. We have arrived at the beginning of Holy Week. We have arrived at that point where Jesus will make his entrance into Jerusalem for the last week of his earthly ministry. He has made his way from Galilee up in the north. He has made his way through the Judean desert. He has left the city of Jericho and he has begun his climb upwards to the city of Jerusalem. He is traveling again through that very same desert where he, just a few years before, experienced the temptation by Satan, the enemy. I'm sure as he's making his way from Jericho through the desert up to Jerusalem, he is hearing that voice whisper again to him. Why don't you take the easier route? Certainly it will not require your life. The kingdoms of this world can become your kingdoms in a much easier way than the way that Jesus knows the Father has planned for him. So Jesus makes that climb through that wilderness of temptation to the Mount of Olives. He stops before he gets to the Mount of Olives to visit with his close friends, Martha and Mary and Lazarus, there in the community of Bethany, just over the ridge from Jerusalem, just beyond the Mount of Olives. And perhaps you recall from John's Gospel what it is that Jesus does when he's visiting there in Bethany, right before he makes this entrance into the holy city. He raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. And I'm sure that when Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the dead, the community was abuzz with what had just happened, and the word probably made it just two miles over the ridge into the city of Jerusalem. So as this Galilean preacher was making his entrance into the overcrowded city of Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover with 
hundreds of thousands of other Jews, they had heard, they had heard about some of the wonder-working signs this Jesus had performed, such as the raising of Lazarus from the dead. So here he is on the ridge, getting ready to make his final entrance into the city of Jerusalem. And according to the text, according to all the text, he asked his followers to go and secure for him a colt upon which he can ride into the city of Jerusalem. I'm grateful that Matthew's gospel, not Mark, but Matthew's gospel tells us this colt is a donkey. It's very important that Jesus rides a donkey into Jerusalem on this day. You see, in the ancient world, if a conqueror was coming to make war, that conqueror would ride a white stallion. But if that conqueror was coming to wage peace, the conqueror would ride a humble donkey. But more than that is going on here. You see, the people had looked for centuries for that great deliverer, that great Messiah to come and to bring to the people what they needed, to bring release and deliverance and freedom to the people. And here they are in Passover, and at Passover they're telling the stories of God's deliverance of the children of Israel out of Egypt during the Passover and then through the wilderness to the land of promise. So the city is abuzz with talk of deliverance. And here comes Jesus, and he's riding a donkey. He's making his way into the city. I know that Jesus, like the gospel writers, remembered the prophecy from Zechariah, that prophecy that said hundreds of years before Jesus, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. Triumphant and victorious is he, humbled and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So he had been prophesied centuries before that Messiah would come and Messiah would come humbly riding on a donkey. I know that Jesus knew what he was doing this day. I knew that Jesus knew what he was declaring this day. Jesus was making his entrance into the city of Jerusalem coming as a king, coming as a conqueror. It says that they took their cloaks and laid their cloaks on the donkey and laid their cloaks on the road in front of the donkey. This being a good religious Jewish community, those cloaks very well may have been prayer shawls that they were using to welcome Jesus into Jerusalem. And he rides the donkey into the city. We call it his triumphal entry. And it is that. He is entering as a conqueror. The text here in Mark's gospel says that they are spreading leafy branches before this Jesus. I'm grateful that John's gospel tells us it's palms they are spreading. And ever since this day, we've called this Palm Sunday. And this also would bring about a powerful memory 
for the people on that day. You see, it was just a 150 plus years ago when Judas Maccabeus conquered that evil Syrian Greek king Antiochus Epiphanes and recaptured Jerusalem and rededicated the temple. The Jews call that the Feast of Hanukkah. Rededicated the temple. And as Judas Maccabeus was coming into Jerusalem, guess what the people were doing? They were waving palm branches. So Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew what he was doing. And I think the crowd, or at least most of the crowd, gathered around him that day, knew what they wanted Because you see what they're shouting. They're quoting from Psalm 118. You heard Pastor Ken read that a few moments ago. They are shouting to Jesus, Hosanna. By the time of Jesus, this had become a word of praise, but it literally means save us now. Deliver us now. Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And then the next sentence that they were proclaiming really was the sentence that got... Jesus in trouble with the Romans. They said, blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So he is entering. They know what they want. They want a king like David to come and conquer the Romans and reestablish the monarchy and take them back to the glory days of Jerusalem. That's what they want. But Jesus is not giving them what they want. Jesus is instead giving them what they need. So right here in this text, right here on this day, right here on the slopes of the Mount of Olives going into the city of Jerusalem, many different expectations were colliding on this day. You know, expectations are amazing things. Our expectations for life can make us or break us. Our expectations that we hold for ourselves can make us if they lead us toward godly goals. Those expectations, those goals, those dreams for life, they can make us or our goals can break us. Our expectations can destroy us. I know for me, and I think this is true for human nature, when I find myself getting frustrated, when I find myself getting angry, it is because someone is not meeting my expectations. And as soon as I remind myself that I'm getting frustrated, I'm getting angry because someone is not meeting my expectations, what the Spirit speaks to me is something like this. Jeff, do you think the world around you exists to meet your expectations? But we do. We have expectations for ourselves. We have expectations for the people around us. We have expectations for God. And when those expectations are not met to our satisfaction, we find ourselves getting frustrated. We find ourselves getting angry. We need to Pay attention to our expectations. We need to be realistic about our expectations. We need to hold our expectations lightly. Here on this day on the slope of the Mount of Olives, expectations were colliding. The crowd wanted a king. And they knew exactly what that king was to look like and act like. The religious leaders that day 
just wanted to maintain the status quo and keep in the good graces of their Roman overlords. You see, the Romans only came to town when something like Passover was going on, when they needed to keep the peace in that overcrowded city. But when the Romans didn't come to town from Caesarea Maritima, it really was the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders there in the city that ran the city. They had a prime position there in Jerusalem. So here on this day, as Jesus is riding into the city, the religious leaders just don't want Jesus to complicate their lives. They want to maintain their secure position with the Romans. And of course the Romans here on this day, they just want to maintain the peace. And peace is a good thing. They want to maintain the peace there in Jerusalem. And they don't want anyone disturbing the peace. So all of those expectations were swirling around Jesus on this day. He was riding into the city as a conqueror. He was riding into the city as a king. But a very different conqueror. A very different king than the world could imagine. Mark's gospel is fascinating at this point. You noticed it a few moments ago when I read the text in Mark's gospel, this glorious event happens. Jesus makes his way ceremonially into the city. And then comes verse 11. Here comes this abrupt ending to Mark's rendition of the first Palm Sunday. According to Mark, verse 11, Jesus then entered Jerusalem. And he went into the temple. And when he looked around at everything, he just turned around and left he left the city and went back over the hill to his friends there in Bethany. So this abrupt ending to the Palm Sunday story is rather startling in Mark's gospel, but Mark knows that we know how the story ends. We do know how the story ends. Jesus will come back into the temple tomorrow. He will spend time teaching in the temple. He will also spend time cleansing or clearing the temple. He wants that temple to be a place of prayer for all of God's people. So he teaches and hangs out there in the temple precinct on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And then comes Thursday. That night, Jesus and his closest followers gather to celebrate the Passover Seder meal. And they make arrangements for an upper room, and they show up that night to welcome the Passover. I'm sure they walk into the room where Jesus is, and they look at the table, and they expect to see the traditional roasted lamb on the table for the Passover meal but there's no roasted lamb on the table this night because it's Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, who looks at his followers that night and says, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. I'm sure those wor words startled 
his closest followers, confused his closest followers. They finished the Seder meal and then they sang a hymn and they went out. And by the way, they were singing Psalm 118 that you heard Pastor Ken read from a few moments ago. They were singing that hymn that says, this, this is the day the Lord has made. And this day, even this day, we will rejoice and be glad in it. They're singing that hymn as they're making their way out of the holy city across the Kidron Valley to the slope of the Mount of Olives. It's a beautiful spring night, so they spend the night outside rather than going over the crest of the hill to Bethany. They spend their night outside because Jesus wants to spend that night in prayer. He asked his followers to spend it in prayer also, but of course their spirits were willing, but their flesh was weak. It was there in that night as Jesus prayed that Jesus prayed multiple times to the Father saying, your will be done, not my will. It was there in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of the Oil Press, where Jesus said again, yes to the Father's will. Yes to what was ahead of him. Max Lucado, one of my favorite contemporary authors, wrote in one of his books that as he was a new Christian and he received his first Bible, he turned to the section of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus' agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he wrote in the margin of that new Bible, this is where I was saved. Because it was there at that point that Jesus said yes completely and obediently to the will of the Father. And by this point, you're probably getting close to midnight. It is dark in so many ways. And from the Garden of Gethsemane, some of you have been there. You know this is true from the Garden of Gethsemane. You can look to the gates of the old city. And you could see people coming out of those gates at night if they're carrying their torches. And that's what they were doing that night. Some temple guards, perhaps some Roman soldiers, some Jewish religious leaders, they were coming out of the gate in the darkness of the night, but they were very much on display as their torches were burning brilliantly. They were making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus watched them come. He could have easily just gone the other direction over the crest of the hill to Bethany and be lost, but he stood his ground there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was pointed out in the darkness with a kiss from one of his followers. Then, of course, there's some trials. We'd call them kangaroo trials. Before Caiaphas, Annas, religious leaders, then before the Roman procurator, prefect, Pontius Pilate, he's condemned to death. And by the time the crowd's waking up that morning at 9 a.m., Jesus is already on the cross. And he's dying there on the cross. And from 9 to 12, he hangs there. From 12 to 3, according to the Gospels, the sun refused to shine. And then at 3 o'clock, 
at 3 p.m. according to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, at 3 p.m. as they were making the evening sacrifice in the temple, Jesus gave up the ghost. Jesus breathed His last. He's in the realm of the dead on Saturday. And then comes Sunday. But that's a story for next week. Jesus came as a conqueror, as a king, as Lord. He did not give them, He doesn't give us what we always want, but He gives us what we need. Because of this week, the work of this week, because of who Jesus Christ is, the work of Jesus Christ this week saves us in so many ways. The work of Jesus Christ saves us from our sin, our sin nature, from the sins that we seem so prone to commit. Jesus saves us from ourself, usually our greatest enemy. Jesus saves us from Hosatan, from Satan, the devil, the ultimate enemy. Jesus saves us from the powers of darkness that were surrounding him in the latter part of this week. Jesus saves us in so many, many ways. As we make our way through Holy Week, I pray that our hearts, which are so prone to get hard, will be melted again by that great, great love. That His love will overwhelm us. His love will conquer us. His love will change us for this life and the life to come that we will have such an experience of how the love and grace and mercy of God in Jesus Christ kissed a guilty world and saved us, saves us in so many ways.